day 186. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. Uh, my name is John, and I'm actually going to be solo with you for a bit, or I may bring on a couple of extra guests. Uh, Keith, the star of the show, isn't going to be here because uh, on March 11th, uh, 2021, Keith Pinkney got married to Jasmine uh, now Pinkney. And so Keith is on his honeymoon for the next week. So I'm going to be holding it down for you. Y'all give a shout out to Keith, uh, online. Um, yeah. Uh, just let him know that you're praying for him, that you love him. You're appreciative, uh, of his work. All right. Day 186. Welcome back to the windows and mirrors podcast. Uh, I just want to remind you that this is a podcast about the Bible, right? Where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than a mirror. We come to it to look through it and see God. We don't come to it primarily to look at ourselves. And I think that point is really going to be cemented in Isaiah chapter 40 through 43. All right. So we've uh, gone through the first half of the book and we know that the book is split up into these two halves, right? Chapters one through 39 um, is all about this concept of judgment, right? It's it's judgment of uh, what takes place. God's going to look and God's going to remind them of this judgment and hope that Israel is going to get because of the fact that they have rebelled. They're going to be exiled, but even in that exile, there's this faint uh, picture of hope. Chapter 40 through 66 is all about this hope. It's this hope realized, right? 40 starts off with the words, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and announce that her time of forced labor is over. Her iniquity has been pardoned and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. All right, here's why I love how uh, this book being split up this way, because even in this book being split up this way, it tells us something certain and true about God. And that's this, when God speaks words of judgment, God's words of judgment are sure, but his words of judgment aren't the final word. God's final word is one of mercy, is one of hope. And in Isaiah 40 to 43, we're going to see this hope that God brings. God is going to make a way out of no way, all right? God's going to bring balance. So Isaiah 40 is going to start off, and it's going to show us all of these things uh, that really just want us to uh, get a sense of what God is going to do as he brings uh, hope, right? It's going to start off, and it's going to say words like this, like, all the valleys will be lifted up, right? All the mountains will be brought down, right? So the low points will be lifted up. The the high points will be brought down. That That's just meant to show us that as the Lord comes, he's going to bring a sense of balance, evenness, smoothness. And it says this, yo, there's going to be a straight pathway for the Lord to come through, for deliverance to be brought about. And here's what I love about the rest of chapter 40 to 43. Um, It's going to mention here and there the what's of salvation, what this hope is going to look like and feel like, but it's going to spend the bulk of the time not on the what of salvation, 
but the who of salvation, right? The most important thing is not what we experience and what we feel. The most important thing is who brings it. So in Isaiah 40, you're constantly going to hear those words, who, 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 God's going to say, with whom will you compare me? Who are you going to compare me to? And this is basically going to be um, God showing what it is that he's like, all right? We're going to see at least four things, these four small portraits of what God is like, and they essentially serve as a cover letter and a resume for people that are skeptical to reinstate God as the Lord of their lives, the person who will be at the center of their hope and God's showing. Look, I'm overqualified for the job. So as he talks about this concept of hope, the very first thing that he does in Isaiah 40 is he talks about his determination and strength, right? He's going to bring up this, that nobody can stand in God's way when God is determined to do something. All right. Um, So you're going to read the whole, you know, the people are like grass, right? The grass withers, the flower fades, but it's the word of God that stands firm. And the very first thing that we see about God is God is both determined and he's strong enough to do what he's determined to do. My daughter is determined. Everything in our house is a negotiation. Uh, but one thing that she lacks is the strength to accomplish what's on her mind. And when God comes in Isaiah 40, he's saying, yo, who are y'all going to compare me to, right? All of the nations out here, they're determined to do what they want to do. But at the end of the day, they don't have the strength to actually accomplish it. God's saying, I do, right? So as Israel is putting God on trial at this point, because they feel that their judgment was um, a result of this divine neglect from God, God is answering this question. God is providing them his resume and cover letter to help them see, no, 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 listen, y'all weren't sent in exile because of my neglect. It was actually because of my activity the whole time. And chapter 40 ends off with God saying, listen, I don't get tired like the rest of y'all. It's not like I was just so busy and so exhausted from a long century of judgment and caring for the world that I somehow let y'all slip into the hands of the bad guys. God was saying, I actually sent you there to humble you and to bring you back and to save you. God is determined and strong. Nobody can stand in the way uh, when God is determined to do something. But Isaiah 41 is going to go on and give another little portrait of what God is like. God is comprehensive with both his judgment and with hope, right? God gives strength. God wipes out their enemies once and for all. At the beginning of chapter 41, we see this in verse 12, where God says, look, at the end of the day, once I'm done with the people that have done you wrong, y'all are going to look for people that contend with you, and you're not going to be able to find them. Um, I had a friend that lived in Shanghai uh, talk about his experience with the, with the coronavirus. And one of the things that he said was, man, um, 
they did such a good job with it out there that they almost eradicated its effect in their nation or in their city completely. So one day we're on the phone and this is a a few months in back there. And I asked them, Hey man, how are things back there? Are you still scared? And he's like, no, like it's pretty much gone out here. I live in a city of 25 million people. And he said, man, I could travel uh, around all day trying to get it and come back home unsuccessful. And then Isaiah 41, this is the picture that God is painting of eradicating his, uh, the enemies of Israel. So it's, it's God filling them with hope, not just based on what he's going to do, but based primarily on uh, who he is. At the middle of chapter 41, there's a section where it just talks about, you know, you know the poor and needy seeking water, but there is none. Their tongues are parched. And God saying, look, I can provide for you comprehensively. And he talks about bringing water from out of nowhere. And what we see is that God can take a big enemy and reduce it to absolutely nothing. God is comprehensive with his judgment, but God can also take a barren wasteland and bring an abundance of water because Uh, God can guarantee this type of provision because God providing for us isn't limited to what is available to him. We can only really provide for people based on the resources that we have around us, right? God is not limited in his provision by the natural resources uh, that he has to uproot from his Uh, immediate vicinity. God is a God who can provide comprehensively. Chapter 42 and 43 end off, and it just speaks once again of this new servant that'll bring justice. And this servant is a foretelling of the Lord Jesus, right? 42 starts off and said, he's going to be effective and he's going to come and bring justice to the nations, right? That you have a powerful God that can crush the most stubborn foe, but even in the crushing of the stubborn foe, Isaiah 42 starts off and it talks about this God who is great and grand um, is also gentle, that he's going to deal gently with the faith of the weak, to, to where if the faith of the weak could be compared to a smoldering wick, a candle that's getting ready to go out. God is not so great and grand that he doesn't deal kindly with the gentle. And that leads right into a cause for the people rejoicing. And Isaiah 43 comes in and it ends off with just a picture of us seeing that God is as consistent as he is compassionate. So as God talks about the future judgment that he's going to bring, he Uh, takes a step back and says, hey, look, 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 look. I don't want y'all just to look at the things that I've done in the past, although that is a good indicator of how I'm going to move in the future. God's going to come through. And at the end of Isaiah 43, starting in verse um, 18, God's going to say this, look, y'all ain't even got to look in the rear view mirror to see what I'm going to do. I'm going to do something here that is so new Um, that you're going to see this 
and rejoice in this. And this is going to dwarf the things that I've done in the past when it came to delivering you from Egypt and bondage out there, right? So back then, God turned the Red Sea into a desert so that people could walk through it on their way to freedom. Here, as God brings them out of exile, Isaiah 43, 18, God's going to say, yo, if you thought it was something when I turned the Red Sea into a desert, wait until I create a river in the desert. Wait until I take this parched land, right? Wait until I take this land that has been neglected because of the judgment of the people and bring a sense of refreshment there. This is what God says that he's going to do. And Isaiah 43 ends off with this, God saying, listen, I know that even when I do this, Israel, y'all aren't going to act right. But at the end of the day, what that is going to show is that God's salvation is more about him showing his kindness than it is just about us being saved, right? Israel is not going to act all of the way right, but Israel is still going to receive God's kindness. And so even in God's salvation of us, it is something that's for us, but it gives us an incredible truth into what God is like. Salvation is not primarily about what, but it is about who. And so today, I want you to remember these things about God. When you're feeling unworthy or blind or stubborn or frustrated and you just can't seem to get past the very things that caused uh, God to discipline you in the way that he has, I want you to be reminded that God saves you because of his kindness, not because of your goodness. God is determined and strong. What he's determined to do, he will do. God is comprehensive with both his wrath and his hope. God is perfectly balanced. God will judge swiftly and completely, but he won't crush the weak and the humble in the process. And God is as consistent as he is compassionate. What he's done in the past is a model for what he will do in the future, but when he does it in the future, it's going to dwarf the work that he's done in the past. Let's pray. Our Father, today I pray that you would help us to be reminded of your goodness, Lord. I pray that we would be those that are freed from the burden of looking for hope in our scenario, and we would instead turn our eyes up and look at hope in our Savior. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.